So we're all familiar with the concept of unsubscribing from an email or unsubscribing from anything, really. Well, I'm going to talk to you today about why I think unsubscribing and enabling people to unsubscribe is of the utmost importance if you run a business or a brand. We're going to talk about this and more on The Rightly Show. It's the program that helps you start and grow a brand-centric online business through the fusion of form and function. This is The Rightly Show. Hello and welcome to the program. My name is Thomas McGee and this is The Rightly Show. So today we're going to talk all about the importance of unsubscribes. And I don't mean particularly from the aspect of receiving information. I don't mean receiving content. I mean as a business owner or as somebody who is in the process of building a brand. I think it's vital to make it really easy for people who don't want to hear from you to not hear from you anymore. And so I know that sounds kind of counterintuitive and probably even counter what you have experienced yourself when it comes to receiving emails or uh, part of membership programs you've been a part of or subscriptions. But we're going to talk today about why it is so important to make it easy for people to unsubscribe from whatever it is that you're doing, uh, regardless of what it is that you are doing. But before we get to that, I wanted to take some time first to tell you about a YouTube channel that we have going um, that has been going for almost a year now, so not quite that long. But one of the things I wanted to do very early on when it comes to the Rightly and Company brand is find different ways to help people in different situations and in different ways. So the purpose of this podcast is to provide you more long-form information, and a lot of the things that we're covering here are more conceptual or they're more philosophical or things that you can listen to at more length than you could for a video. Um, So it's not like a lot of other platforms out there where the podcast is, you know, just an audio version of the YouTube channel or vice versa. It's two different types of mediums and two different types of things that we teach. So again, the podcast is more long form, but over at Rightly TV, What I'm trying to do over there is create a a wide variety of step-by-step tutorials that show you how to do specific things. So one of the most recent YouTube videos I made over there uh, is how to set up WordPress hosting. So I don't just tell you about why I like a particular host. I show you how to set it up step-by-step. There's other ones where I actually show you the type of gear I use not only for video but for this podcast. So things that are much more visual or step-by-step oriented, if there are things you want to learn on a very practical level, head on over to Rightly TV. Make sure that you subscribe over there because we're continually coming out with new tutorials and concepts that are going to help you build a brand from a practical perspective. Have a question for the program? Call 844-RIGHTLY to record your question and we would be happy to consider featuring it in a future episode. That's 844-744-4859 or 844-RIGHTLY. If you would rather write in, feel free to email show at rightlydesigned.com. Okay, so today's main topic we're going to talk about is all about unsubscribing and why it is so important to make it easy for somebody to unsubscribe. So to start with, I'm going to tell you a quick story. So several years ago, I decided, you know, it was election season and there were a lot of candidates and people who were running for different types of office. And there was one particular person I found interesting. So I subscribed to this person's 
email list. If you are familiar with this show or with Rightly TV, you know that I'm pretty big on an email list because an email list is something that you own and control and it's one of the best ways to correspond with or to help or to serve your audience. So I mainly subscribed to this email list, again, just because I was interested in the person. I was genuinely curious on the, you know, the person's policies and everything else and the platform. So uh, I subscribed and about three or four months later, I noticed that I started receiving emails from another candidate, a candidate that I never subscribed to, nor did I have any interest in hearing from. And then a few more months passed and I started receiving emails from another candidate and then another and then from uh, an organization I didn't know about and then another organization I didn't know, know about. And it snowballed to the point where today I receive anywhere from seven to 10 to 15 emails every single day, 99% of which are people from whom I never opted in for, uh, I don't want to hear from, and uh I've actually had to go through the process now of setting up, I think, almost 10 rules in my email software that automatically junks email from somebody uh, who I don't want to hear from. So suffice it to say, I gave one person my email address and they decided to either share and or sell my email address to a number of other places. So I've considered, you know, do I just want to shut down this email address? And I've gotten very close to the only problem is that it's tethered to a lot of other accounts I use. So in order, so if I did go through the process of getting rid of this email address, it would just cause a huge headache. And while I do know that in this particular situation, uh, it's specific to uh, a political candidate, I have seen a lot of businesses do this very same thing where you'll sign up for one newsletter or one thing and they'll take your email address and they'll sell it to a whole bunch of other people because email addresses, as it turns out, are very valuable for the reasons that we've mentioned you know, in previous episodes. The problem is that at that point in time, the value of that person goes down. Not only do they not want to hear from you, uh, but they, you make that person a lot more skeptical of giving their email address in, uh, out in the future. And so that's one of the things I've even noticed, you know, over at Rightly and Company, where we have, you know, a free video workshop that we give out for free. But of course, in order to gain access, you have to provide your email address. So that that brings some hesitancy for people who are wanting to sign up for that particular thing because they've encountered so many marketing people who just either take that information and sell it or they just provide something that's just not that great. It's just not very good quality. It was It was kind of a bait and switch. Whereas what we offer over at Rightly and Company, our email course, uh, our course that you get as an, you know, for providing your email, uh, your your email address is something that is actually so valuable. It's kind of su- it's been surprising to a lot of people that we don't charge for it, that we don't charge what we were originally going to, which is a thousand dollars. But it got me thinking about the whole concept of unsubscribing. Um, because not only was my email address sold to all these other people, the people to whom it was sold, many of which, and this is why I had to create this email rule, you can't unsubscribe. Like I clicked the unsubscribe button like five or six times on emails from a particular person who I never signed up from to begin with. And every single time it said, you have been unsubscribed, but then I was never unsubscribed. Not only that, but most of them actually hide the subscribe button so that you can barely see it uh, or it's worded in such a way as to for it to uh, not even be 
uh, very visible or prominent or that sort of thing. I don't have a problem with like making it gray or or making it smaller or towards the bottom, but like to be deceptive in terms of hiding it seems to be uh, more common than you might think. So one of the things that got me thinking about was from a business perspective, and that is we should make it very easy for people who don't want to hear from us to no longer hear from us. If we run a subscription service, we should make it easy for people to end that subscription if they don't want to continue with that subscription. If you run uh, you know, a membership site or a subscription service and you make someone call you or you make someone open a support ticket in order to cancel that subscription and you're only doing that to make it harder for somebody to subscribe, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. Because at the end of the day, what we're here for is we're there to serve people. We're help we're, we're there to help them solve a problem. And if they pay us to solve that problem, great. But the moment they no longer want that service, it hurts. It doesn't help our business to keep them in to keep them locked into doing something they don't want to do because it does two things. One, yes, you might have a short-term advantage of receiving an extra $29 from that monthly payment. So you might gain that $29, but what the cascade effect of that person's negative experience with you and your brand will cost you 10, 20, 30 times more long-term. Um, so I think that's kind of at the heart of it. But uh, I wanted to kind of turn things over to you, Casey. That's that's a pretty extreme example in terms of having my email address sold. And I think we've all experienced sleazy marketing tactics. But what are your thoughts as far as email and unsubscribes in general? Um, <laughs> There's a very open-ended question. I could go so many places. Um, I think, well, I agree that un- unsubscribing is really important. And I think that it can actually be a strategic advantage for people. And that I think is a relatively underemphasized or underutilized concept because an email list is so important as far as being a core element of a business that's operating online or even operating in a physical space. Like your email list is so powerful. I mean, there's statistical studies that have been done that show it's 300 times more effective or you know, 300%. So three times, you know, at least three times as effective as social media. So I've worked on best-selling book launches where, you know, an entire social media campaign was responsible for five, for selling 500 copies of a book, but the email sequence was responsible for selling 10,000 in the same time frame. And so email, you know, is, is not dead, but the reason why it's so powerful is that it's someone's personal space. If you think about like the mailbox in front of your house, or like if you get mail, like through a slot in your door, like how annoying is it every day when you get junk mail, you know, like you didn't sign up for all of this, you know, repurposed recycling i can't tell you like every day i go to the mailbox and at least half of what i get out of there just goes right from my mailbox right into the recycle bin which then gets recycled and printed into paper made into more ads that unzip my my mailbox and then i take it and i put it back it's just this vicious cycle of it's (laughs) it's vicious recycling that's what it is (laughs) so don't do that to people who are on your email list and i think it is of the utmost importance to make it as easy to unsubscribe as it is to subscribe. I can't tell you, you know, uh, 
somehow, I don't know how, I ended up on Martha Stewart's mailing list. And I tried countless, at least half a dozen times to unsubscribe from their from their mailing list. And each time I was like, it'll be five or ten business days. And I'm like, it's took me five, like, I don't know how I got on this list, but it probably took me five seconds to get on it. It should be just as easy to get off because like my, like my inbox is my private space. That's, you know, it's not like my home necessarily, but like it's a room in my house. Like if I don't want you in there, you don't have the right to be there. Um, and so when people are signing up, you know, for your email list, like don't be, don't be tricky about it, like deliver value. And like, I understand like marketing principles and practices of incentivizing people to get on your list, but deliver, but first off deliver on that value and then respect your subscribers, make it as easy to unsubscribe as it is to subscribe. Uh, Thomas, what are some ways uh, that people actually get email lists? What are some people get on your list? So yeah, some different ways that people can sign up for or get onto a list are some of the things we've talked about previously, which is to offer some sort of incentive. So the way this typically works is you hit a squeeze page of some sort. And then what happens is once you hit the squeeze page, say, hey, get my free guide or get my video series or get my ebook or get something, uh, enter your email list or enter your email address here. Some other ways that we typically see uh, that people use, it's not quite as effective is to say like, you know, sign up for my newsletter, which is okay because if they want to hear from you, uh, that works as well. I think the worst one that you'll see out there is uh, enter your email address for updates. I see that a lot in like the footer of different like news sites and things like that, which is like updates of what, like specifically, like what your dog ate for breakfast, or could you be a little bit more specific? You know, there there has to be some clarity. Like, <laughs> well, if you're if you're running a pet based blog, getting updates on what someone's you know canine ate for breakfast might actually be might actually exactly. be interesting. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah, there's yep. an importance there to be be specific. Um, what um, what do you recommend for for people who who in like in your circumstances? So I think there's I think there's responsibility on both sides. Like having worked in this space, like really encouraging folks to be upfront and clear and provide those buttons for like people to unsubscribe on their emails. And we're going to get into why that's actually like unsubscribes. You actually want unsubscribes. We're going to get into that in a minute. But as a as a customer, what you know, what are best practices when, when you are trying to unsubscribe from someone else's list? Cause what I've seen, what I've seen happen is like people will, you know, respond to me well and they'll be like, you know, how the heck did I end up on this list? Why are you emailing me? And it's like, well, you opted in to download this checklist of, you know, copywriting tips. And that's why I'm emailing you. And they're like, well, I never signed up for that. And it's like, well, I can like, you could prove to them that you, that you could, but like on the, on the customer's side, like, you know, what do you, like, if you want to get off of somebody's list, like, instead of like, just like clicking, you know, spam or something, which actually like hurts the people whose list you've got on, what are like some best practices that, that you would recommend for folks? Yeah. So the biggest thing, like this is kind of my rule of thumb, right? As a person who is receiving email, and even if it's an email I don't want, I, first of all, I click that unsubscribe button. And then 
I consider the case closed. If I receive another email from that person, I assume either if we're going to give them the benefit of the doubt, we're going to say that, okay, well, maybe there's a bug of some sort. Um, so what I do at that point is I will click unsubscribe again. And it kind of depends. I mean, realistically, it kind of depends on like what mood I'm in, how many junk emails I've received for that day. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but if I, if I receive multiple emails after unsubscribing, then I will mark it as junk because I have to assume at that point that you're doing this intentionally, that the only reason you have an unsubscribe button is because you're just loosely keeping up with, I think it's the ICANN rules or whatever the actual, uh, regulations or specific rules are that you have to keep up with in order to send junk email. Um, but yeah, I always give people the, the benefit of the doubt. But one of the nicest thing you can do, especially if you actually did opt in, is to click that unsubscribe button and not mark it as spam. Just because like Casey mentioned, it does actually hurt the integrity of your list when people are marking it as spam, which is why I'm really careful to make sure that any email I'm sending at all is of value and people are expecting it. That's why like, it's really important if you've got an email list that you email them regularly to a point where they know when to down to a specific time when they know to to expect you. Now, if you miss a week or two, that's not a big deal. I mean, we all get busy and we miss times, but to me, to email them every like three or four months, you increase the likelihood that they forget who you are and then mark you as spam. So there's things that can be done on both sides to ensure that uh, you know the list stays healthy. One of the biggest things, and this is kind of transitioning to another point um, that I did want to talk about a little bit, is not only is it important to provide the ability for people to unsubscribe, and let me actually stop right there, because some people will say, okay, well, should I make it like in your face? Like, hey, if you hate me, just click this giant button to unsubscribe. I'm not saying like make it in their face, like even at the footer of our emails, I think the text is gray, but it's clear and the link is blue and it's obvious that you can click to unsubscribe. Um, but it's not in your face, right? It's there. The unsubscribe button works. I've tested it and everything else. So, uh, we know that, you know, everything is how it's supposed to be. Um, however, again, it is important to make it not only easy for people to unsubscribe, like a, not a a process that people have to go through, not something annoying, but it's also important to keep your email list clean. And so I know, especially if you're in the marketing realm and you've heard a lot of people talk about how important your email list is and everything else, a lot of people like to focus on, like the, the question always here is how big is your email list? That isn't really the question. The question isn't how big is your email list. The question is how responsive is your email list? Because you can have 100,000 people on your list, and if you are getting open rates of 1%, that's horrible. And that email list could be a tenth of that size and uh, to maintain the same amount of uh, you know, actual value as a list a tenth of that size. So it isn't so much the size of it, it's the responsiveness of that particular list. And so that's, that's why a really good practice that a lot of people do, and I do this uh, from time to time probably once or twice a year, is to actually clean your list. And so I use a service called ConvertKit to manage my list. I've got two separate email lists I manage. And then what this entails is going through and finding those subscribers who are cold subscribers, so they haven't clicked or opened or responded to anything you've written in the last six months. 
And then what you do is you send them a collection of emails, like maybe two or three emails that say, hey, you still there? You still want to receive my uh, what we're creating? If so, click through. Hey, here's some free guide I just created or a, a free video I just created or something like that. And then if not, that's totally okay. Click this giant big button to unsubscribe. And then at that point, they'd be unsubscribed. And then once you send two or three of those kind of hello, are you there type emails, then you literally unsubscribe them yourself from the list. Now, most people would cringe. They say, whoa, you're, you're removing people from your list. Your email subscriber count will go down. True, but the open rates and the deliverability of your emails going forward, and they have statistical data on this. They've got actual data based upon, you know, even from servers and mail providers, um, your deliverability will go up. You'll, you're less likely to be marked as spam if the people on your list that you are emailing are overwhelmingly open, opening and, and actually interacting with your emails. Plus for you as a business owner, it gives you a more realistic representation of how big your audience is. I think we're all kind of, especially in the age of social media, we want our our follower account to be as high as it possibly can be, our subscriber account to be as high as it possibly can be. But if you can start to get away, shy away from those vanity metrics, as they're typically known as, and the actual impact that you're making, not only does it, it give you a more accurate representation, but it helps you focus on the things that really matter. Like, uh, I don't get nearly as many YouTube uh, views as a lot of really prominent people out there, nowhere near as many, but I find value in doing it because even though the amount of people I'm helping, uh, is less, I'm helping to a, a higher degree to those people. It's very niche specific. And I've received emails and comments, uh, from people who are actually being helped by that. And that's what it's all about, right? It's not about having the biggest audience. It's about having the most, uh, I guess you could say narrowed and refined audience possible because that way you're able to help those people to a greater degree. So that's kind of a tangent, um, but that's why it's really important to have a clean email list and some ways that that can apply to a business as a whole. So what's your experience with, with, uh, from your perspective on that, Casey? You covered a whole lot there. I need to circle back and, and cover a few things. One thing I want to mention and highlight for folks is uh, Thomas said the word deliverability. And it's very self-explanatory, but not everyone knows what it means. And that means is your email getting to the people on your list in the box so that they can see it? And then are they opening it and being able to click on it? And so um, if you, you know, regardless of your email list size, if you have a large percentage of people who are not engaged, so they're not clicking your email, they're not opening your email, and then they're not clicking on any of the content, both those two metrics, open and click rate, if you're, if that percentage in your metrics is really low, then your effectiveness, your deliverability, like to someone's inbox versus the spam folder or like to their email address at all, will go down. So keeping clean and having really more accurate open and click rates that are higher, your deliverability, your ability to get into the inbox of your subscribers and to get their attention, which is what you really want, will go up. And the other thing is that by having those accurate metrics, you will have a more strong, you will have a stronger ability to accurately measure whether your content is working. So like if you, you know, if, if you cut your list in half, 
because you have all of these unengaged subscribers and you're able to more uh, accurately look at your open and click rates and then you have a dip, you can go back and look at that. Like the dip will be more pronounced because the percentage is uh, because you have a lower volume. There's a direct correlation. There's a directly proportional um, relationship there. And you'll be able to, you know, you could split test content, you could split test email subject lines, and you'll be able to see what works and what doesn't and what's really resonating with your audience versus having it diluted because you have an inflated list size. Um, The other factor here is that most uh, email service providers, including uh, ConvertKit, AWeber, Infusionsoft, they charge by the subscriber count. So the bigger your list is, the more expensive it is. And like I'm, you know, I am a big advocate of you know paying for services that you know provide value to you. And so I absolutely you know think that you should pay ConvertKit to host and your email list and you know send your your broadcast and your campaigns, but. If half of your subscribers aren't opening your emails, then you are paying twice as much as you need to be for your email list. And so there can be an actual like directly correlated cost savings to cleaning up your list and making sure that people who are not engaged are unsubscribed. Um, And Thomas, you mentioned and talked about a re-engagement campaign. That's a a great practice because then like you're giving instead of just unsubscribing and deleting people you're giving them one last chance to go ahead and re-engage and off like sometimes those people actually will become not just subscribers but customers because they're like oh like thomas actually cares whether or not i read his emails you know yes please you know still keep me on this list um and it will give them that chance to re-engage with the content and with you as a creator um, Thomas, one of the things I want uh, that I think would be important for us to talk about is types of unsubscribing. So there's that general, you know, big like unsubscribe at the bottom of the email that will take you off of whoever's, you know, emailing you so that they can't email you anymore. What are what are some other types of unsubscribing? So there, yeah, that's a, that's a good question, a good thing to go through. So there's a number of different ways, and a lot of it pertains to the particular medium that we're talking about. So email would be that unsubscribe button. If we're talking about a YouTube channel, again, there's a giant unsubscribe button. If we're talking about podcasts, unsubscribe button. So they work differently, uh, but those would technically be ways that you'd stop receiving that content. Um, similar for like, if you still happen to use like an RSS reader, again, there'd be like an unsubscribe button. So it's kind of the same type of thing. Uh, but for all of those mediums, they're kind of outside your control. I think where you have some control is something that I alluded to a little bit earlier, which is some sort of membership site, uh, or a subscription service, or if you've got software, if you've got, you know, freemium software or something like that. I've actually encountered ones before that purposely make it as difficult as possible for you to unsubscribe because they think. They've got some charts and some stats and some analytics and some consultants somewhere that are telling them if you make it harder for people to unsubscribe, they're far less likely to unsubscribe, which is probably true, but you're destroying your brand in the process because what we don't understand is that half of a brand is the experience they have while they're interacting with you. So it's like one of those things where I could probably come up with some stats uh, to show you that if you put three or four nicely dressed people uh at the in front of the exit at Macy's that people would stay there longer and as a result possibly buy two or three more things before they leave if you just made it more inconvenient for them to leave the store 
I could probably come up with some stats and some graphs to show you why that would be the case. But you as a customer, when the rubber meets the road and you're actually in there shopping, you're probably going to be like, yeah, you know what? I think I'll just go to JCPenney's next time or I'll go to another store or something like that because it's not the metrics that matter at that point. It's the actual experience of the person there in the moment. So if there's a subscription service that I cancel because let's say I can't afford it, budget's not, it's not in line with the budget right now, it's not necessarily something that I need, or I'm just at a point in time where I'm just not getting value out of it, so I'm gonna cancel, maybe I'll come back later. Uh, so what that means then is that if you make that hard for me, if you make my life miserable, I'm probably gonna remember that. And so then once it's time for me to resubscribe, like, oh, you know what? I I need to start learning about this thing, so I'm gonna join this membership site, or I'm interested in this thing again. Oh, but look, there's three or four alternatives. I'm gonna try those, because I remembered the, the experience that I had when I was there. So it behooves you to make it easy for people, not only for them, because if you were in their shoes, you'd probably want the same thing, make it easier for them to cancel. Um, not only because it's what they want, but because it makes them more likely to resubscribe later if they ever want to. So here's a really great example of this, and I've always liked this. There is a online learning community called Treehouse, and they're for designers and coders, uh, people to learn the fundamentals of, you know, learn like PHP and uh, HTML and SAS and MySQL and design and Photoshop and all the different things that... uh, very relevant to actually a lot of what I learned about WordPress. I learned through them. And so they're, they're all about creating your own creative career and learning the tools that you need to be able to do that. So it's an online membership site essentially. Uh, but what's really cool about what they have built in is they have the ability to pause your membership. So you don't lose anything. You don't lose any of your tracking or anything like that. It's just like this, you go to the billing page, it's a big button and it says not using the cert, you know, not using your membership, getting the most out of your membership. Click here to pause your membership. You pause your membership. You don't get charged anymore. You don't lose anything. And then there's the, there's a, it's a big yellow button. And then once you pause your membership, it turns green and you click that same button to reactivate your membership. You know, if they cancel anything, you don't get charged when you don't want to. They just made life easy. And so I think three or four times as I've gone through the process of learning PHP and WordPress, I've clicked that uh, that button to uh, reactivate my membership. And uh, I can tell you right now, emphatically, that had they made that difficult for me to do, I probably would have went to lynda.com. But I didn't because A, they had good material and B, they made it easy for me to return. So not only from just a basic kind of being nice to your customers, does it make sense to make it easy for people to unsubscribe or to cancel or to whatever they want to do, but it's actually just a smart business move because I can tell you for a fact that Treehouse made more money off of me than they would have if they did what most people do, which is make your life miserable when you're trying to cancel a service with them. Right. Well, and here you are talking about them on your podcast that people are going to listen to and, you know, they're more likely more than likely going to go check out Treehouse, you know, if that's fitting for them versus, you know, a company like Linda. Um, Thomas, what if I'm, you know, I've got a I've got an email list and, you know, I'm let's say I come out with content um, like I want an email list, I'm semi list messages on a daily basis. And then I also have 
you know, certain seasonal promotions that I do either for my own products or for affiliate products, what are some options that I can provide to people that, you know, keep, keep the right people on my list that are, that are alternatives to just straight up unsubscribing from everything? Yeah. So with my answer to this, I'm going to get a little bit nerdy on this. So be forewarned. If you don't already have an email service provider uh, that's pretty extensive, like if you're like, for example, not to name names, but if you've got MailChimp and you're ready to get a little bit more complex with what you can do with your email service provider, I'd highly recommend you switch to ConvertKit. We do have a link to give you 30 day free trial or 30 days free. You can go to right or rightly dot show slash ConvertKit if you'd like to try it out. So I'll get that out of the way. Uh, uh, but what, be- before you before you answer that, Thomas, have yes. you transferred a MailChimp account to ConvertKit? Yes, I have. How easy is it? For me, well, it was really easy. I think they even have concierges now that will do it for you, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know if they still do that or to what level or how big your email list has to be. But for me, it was literally exporting to a CSV file from MailChimp and then going to my new ConvertKit account and importing a CSV file, assigning the rows and the data, and I was done. So I think all in all, it took me about 40 minutes to get my list yeah, over. And Yeah, it is so. I I recently uh, moved a list from mail to ConvertKit. I'm going to say ridiculously easy. There is a concierge service that ConvertKit provides if your list is over 5,000 um, uh, contacts, but it was it was almost one click. Like yep. the 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 ease of being able to move from Mailchimp to ConvertKit is almost one click, and they also have like walkthroughs if you're move, moving from almost any. Uh, email platform to ConvertKit, they have walkthrough guides for that, like migration guides as well. So back to you, Thomas. Yeah. And and what's funny is I did this, I don't know, maybe three years ago. So what you're describing is even easier than what I did. So uh, it's gotten even easier to go through and to migrate over. And in fact, if you go to the link, uh, rightly.show slash ConvertKit, they actually off, like they start you with a tutorial or a walkthrough based upon if you're new you're starting out your list from scratch or if you uh, if you already have a list and you need to migrate it and they walk you through all that process. So one of the reasons I mentioned ConvertKit is to answer Casey's previous question, which is getting into the complexity of, say, you're sending out a, a weekly email newsletter to your list uh, and then you have alternatively like a product launch or a promotion or something that you're doing, which requires you to send out a lot of emails in a short period of time. Now, what can happen is that if you're starting, if you begin the process of sending out an email every single day that's leading up to a promotion or is itself a promotion, you're going to get some people who are not interested in that, but they're still interested in you. But if you send them three, four or five consistent emails, they might like you, but not be interested in the promotion probably going to unsubscribe. So what something like ConvertKit enables you to do is you can tag and segment your audience. And one of the biggest problems I always had with the MailChimp was that, and this may have changed, it's been years since I've used it, but what it is is that every single uh, list that you create or every single form that you create in Convert or in MailChimp adds people to the same list. So if you create four different forms, and somebody subscribes to three of them, well, they get added to your list like four or five times. So, or, you know, multiple times. And so it causes this mess. And so then they end up receiving, uh, you know, three or four emails. Plus you have no way of knowing which things they subscribed to. 
ConvertKit, on the other hand, enables you to segment people out and tag people. So if somebody fills out form B, they get tagged with that specific tag. What you can also do is through their really easy and visual automation process, you can actually like visual automation process, you can assign tags to people to stop receiving emails. So for example, let's say that you've got people who are part of your weekly newsletter, right? And they're receiving email from you. Then you start your campaign and you send out email number one of your, you know, of your product launch sequence. So you're launching a product. Well, then what you could do is you could offer two links to people. And what you would do, and again, this is going to get a little bit on the technical and nerdy side, is that you could have your regular unsubscribe button at the bottom. And that would say unsubscribe from everything, at which point they would not receive any emails from you. But above that, you could offer another unsubscribe link that says not interested in this promotion. Click here to unsubscribe from this series of emails, at which point through ConvertKit, you could, if they click that, they would have a tag uh, and this is just one way you could do this. You could do this 10 different ways. But just as one example, they could you could have a tag that says unsubscribed my, uh, you know, summer promotion or whatever it is that you're doing. And then once, you know, that point forward, you could just make sure to exclude every, uh, you know, people who have that tag unsubscribe summer promotion. They'll stop receiving it, but they'll continue to receive the emails uh, that are like your weekly variety. So that's a great way that you can get more intentional and make life easier for people who are receiving your emails. Because here, here's the thing at the end of the day is I'll probably, re- I'll, I repeat this a lot and I'll probably repeat it a lot in the future. The best usability practices that you can do, you don't necessarily need to go to school or take classes on how to do good usability. It's part of why I stay away from a lot of design communities because they make this more complicated than it needs to be in terms of the word usability when it comes to the web or email or a service. Really simple rule of thumb. And this this actually compresses all of usability into one simple concept, which is that treat people as you would want to be treated. If If you would go through this process and it would annoy you, guess what? It's gonna annoy other people too. If you go through this process and it's easy, guess what? It's gonna be easy for them too. And that's really what it comes down to when it comes to sending email, running a business, running a website, running a marketing campaign, put yourself in their shoes, and you've just done 99% of the research data that is required to make it effective. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think, you know, there's, um, you know, I'm on some pretty big lists, uh, Michael Hyatt's, Amy Porterfield's, and like some, you know, there was a point where I was getting like an email every day from Michael Hyatt and um, like platforms that have content that's coming out, you know, on a right on a daily basis will often have a setting where you can update your profile to provide, okay, I only want weekly updates or monthly updates. Um, you know, or, you know, I, I don't want promotions for this specific, you know, marketing campaign or any marketing. So like there, there are some lists I'm on where I own, like I'm on that list because I want to hear from that person and I only want what they are creating and providing. I don't want any of the marketing stuff. I just want their content. And so by providing that to your list, by giving them that opportunity to say, you know, uh, you know, go ahead and send me everything. I don't care if you recommend it. That's, you know, that's good enough for me. I'll check it out. Um, which is, which is awesome. Um, you know, and how affiliate and referral, you know, businesses and relationships work. Um, 
is recommending products and services and tools that we use ourselves and, you know, recommend. Um, but giving them that opportunity allows them to stay engaged, allows them to be a fan, which gives them a sense of empowerment and control and strengthens your relationship with them. Um, so in the same way that it's an advantage for for you to keep your email list clean, it's also important to give them options um, because then you will you will get less you will get less unsubscribes um, and maintain quality people on your list when you give them those options. And like in using a tool like ConvertKit, it makes it really easy. Like you just you know you create a tag that's like opt out all marketing, opt out this campaign, you know, opt out, like completely unsubscribed or, you know, weekly only or whatever. And then you include those tags or exclude those tags when sending out an email to your list. And so it's, you know, it sounds really technical and nerdy, but it's actually not that hard to do, to execute. Um, Thomas, what is, what's an example of, you know, uh, we've talked about how, uh, the you know political email list that you ended up on accidentally, uh, and we've talked about some bad examples. Who um, who is someone whose list you're on, who does who does email really well? Who who you you open their messages often? Maybe not everyone, but you open them often, and who has handled specifically unsubscribes in a really good way. Yeah, so there's actually three that come to mind initially because I'm on a lot of email lists and I'm constantly kind of exploring and considering what, what other people in the industry are doing. So one is Michael Hyatt, two is Pat Flynn, and three is Platform University. Um, now, two of them are clients, so I'm a little biased since, you know, and I know them personally. But it's one of those things where uh, part of like what works really well, like, like Pat, I think all three of them do this really well which is that they are very, like they all provide a lot of content, like Casey alluded to. Um, but not only do they just provide a lot of content, they give you a lot of flexibility in terms of being able to determine what type of content you provide. And this is something to key, that's really key to as you start getting more into creating content and sending emails and everything related to that, is that they make it very easy to, so there's, there's a couple of different ways that you can kind of segment this out. So one would be topics. So maybe you've got a general thing that you teach, but there are subsets of that thing that you teach underneath that. So like, for example, if you're just, let's go back to the Michael Hyde example, he's generally leadership, uh, business, uh, coaching, that sort of thing. But maybe underneath that, it's a building a platform, B it's leading a company and C productivity. Like those are, those are topics. Another way you can segment it out is the level at which the person on your list is in the stage of doing the thing that you're helping them do. So I do this both at Rightly and Company. I do this over at Notable Themes, which is like I always like to, to know, has this person started yet? Are they at ground zero? Are they beginners? Have they started, uh, but maybe they're not getting the amount of traction they would like to have found up to this point. Okay, so maybe they're intermediate. Have they you know, are they well-established and maybe they're even seeing some success. However, they've got these particular things that are bothersome or they want to take further. I would put them in like the expert or the pro level, but still need some help. Um, so again, there's a couple of different ways that you can kind of split up or segment your audience. However, 
if you can get to a point, and all three of the ones that I mentioned do this really well, if you can provide emails and content specific to the segment that you have created, your list not only will be way more engaged, but you're just going to be able to deliver a higher amount of value with less effort because you're actually reaching people closer to where they are. Whereas if you're just, and this is only, you know, there's only so much you can do with the time and resources available. If you can only send out one type, you know, one piece of content for everyone, that's totally fine. You're still doing better than probably 98% of the other people out there. However, if you can find a way to actually provide content that is more specific to a segment of the audience that you're building, that's kind of taking it to the next level. And out of the three examples I listed out, that's probably the most significant thing that I've noticed among all three of them. I think those are I think those are great examples. Um, what are we've talked a lot about unsubscribes and you know effective email marketing would be um, <laughs> there are entire podcasts dedicated dedicated to that. Um, when it comes to email, like when it comes to sending an email to your list, what are some key elements to ensure that it gets opened, that it gets clicked, and that the content resonates with your audience? Because ideally, like as in, it is important to view unsubscribes as strategic because they're like unsubscribes are informative. Like I am, you know, it's telling you that, you know, this like that person's not actually in your audience and, you know, um, it's just not a good match or is telling you that, um, you know, your, uh, content isn't like solving the problem that they have. So like maybe they're in your industry, maybe they are in your, like your, your target audience who you're trying to go after, but your content isn't matching up to them. Um, what are some key elements of email that, uh, will improve those responsive metrics uh, and, you know, help, uh, in kind of tandem or in partnership with unsubscribes be informative to, um, improving your business. Yeah. So there's a, there's a lot of different things you can kind of go through in terms of making sure that your email is actual, like making sure that it's valuable. So, well, number one is exactly that to make sure that what you are delivering is actually of value and it's relevant to the people that you are uh, trying to reach. So there's a number of different reasons why somebody would want to unsubscribe. Number one, they're just not finding value in what you're providing. That's probably the number one. I mean, that's the always something that I have to question and ask is like, is what I'm actually creating, is this video, is it up to par? Is it actually solving a problem? And sometimes I could see some ways that it can improve. Sometimes the answer is yes. So that's always a question we always have to have in the back of our mind is, am I providing enough value. And the answer to for most of us is probably yes, but we can do better. So I think keeping that in the forefront is is something that's always going to help us push to do better in terms of the work that we're creating. Like I, I am a huge, like I am quite contrarian when I hear the phrase done is better than perfect. Not because it's, I'm a fan of perfectionism and, and holding on to it, you know, without ever launching, but it just, I prefer to shift that mindset to think that yes, up to this, this is the best I can do at this point with my time and the resources I, and the skills I have available. Uh, I'm going to ship it, but I'm going to endeavor to do better next time. And I always want to be continually improving rather than just settling for mediocre work. So that's the first thing. I'm going to make sure that what you're providing is actually of value to people. Number two, in terms of the emails itself, 
being received and even people looking forward to them is I think especially if you're running a smaller platform and especially if you are running a personal brand, you should make your emails very personal. Uh, I used to send out email newsletters that had like, you know, big graphics and they looked more like an email uh, or they looked more like an actual newsletter where they've got graphics and columns and it was kind of like you're emailing a web page. I noticed significantly higher open and click-through rates the second I switched from that format to not plain text, but a text email where it had links and italics and bold, but it didn't have any fancy formatting. Uh, People are just more likely to just on its face trust an email that looks like an email that they're receiving from their friends. So not only did I change the format, but I very much make it in my own voice. I send it as though what I like to do when I, I write my own emails, first of all, and second of all, I like to make I like to write them in such a way as to though I was emailing them to one person. So I like to make sure that I'm sending this email as though, you know, Bob or Sally is going to be reading this email. I say, hey, check out the, you know, here's the link to the latest video. Hope your week's going well, something like that. And sometimes I receive, and in fact, pretty regularly, I get emails Uh, in response saying, hey, I like this or this was cool or that. And I respond back to them. So treating your email list as a person or individuals as opposed to a mass uh, makes a big difference as well, not only in the way that it's received, but in the quality in which you deliver it. And so I know I'm shifting a little bit here, but I think that's part of the reasons why I think why I prefer like there's a ton of reasons, but why I personally prefer an email list over something like Twitter or Facebook is because Twitter followers and Facebook fans tend to get clumped into a number that doesn't really mean anything. Whereas email, you're a lot more likely to send an email to a friend or a family member. You're a lot less likely to send a Facebook message or a tweet to a friend or a family member. Not to say it doesn't happen, but there's just something dramatically more personal between an email exchange and, you know, and Twitter, you know, mentions. For, you know, per se. So it just in that sense alone, it, it enables you to more closely and personally connect with the people you're trying to change and reach. Um, and so it's just for those reasons, I think it, it makes email a far more powerful platform in terms of reaching and communicating with the people that you're trying to reach. But those are the two top things, creating genuinely valuable content, something that actually solves a problem, and then writing those emails in such a way as to be more personal, uh, less gimmicky, less salesy, and to the point. I think that's I think that's hugely important and so often missed by I think I think the, the the bigger a brand is the worse their emails get I think in uh, yep. in true too in too many cases I understand it's a sweeping generality um, but like if you look at like the emails you get from Old Navy or Starbucks or you know any other like a corporation or really big you know personal brand they get markety they get corporate they get less and less personal and yet you know email lists you know from or messages from people like michael hyatt or pat flynn or amy porterfield they are still leveraging copywriting principles don't get me wrong um and they are i fully expect that those emails are crafted um in every sense of the word but at the same time like they sound like they're coming from a person like i can hear michael hyatt in his emails. I can hear Pat Flynn in reading his emails. I can hear Amy Porterfield when I read her emails. And that, you know, I open their messages. 
I read, you know, I open most of their messages. I read most of them. Um, and then, you know, I really take it to heart because I feel like they're talking to me. And so the more human you are, so this whole conversation really boils down to treat, like you met, you said this earlier, I'm, I'm not gonna get the words exactly right, but treat your subscribers like people. You are a person, treat your, you said, treat them how you want to be treated. Yeah. Um, and that's really what it boils down to. When you get a message that you don't want to get, you want to be able to unsubscribe so you do not get that type of message again. Whether you want to be completely off their list because uh, it's a politician who's completely you know, unassociated with your core values um, or if it's a promotional email from someone who you're a fan of but you just don't want – you know, you're not interested in you want that experience to be easy and simple so that you can, you know, engage with the content and engage with the people and the brands that you care about and the content that you care about. Um, so being more human. So be human and be kind. Yeah, totally. Yeah, one of the things I wanted to touch on too really briefly in, in terms of emails and unsubscribes and, you know, that whole process is that you also want to make – like. I just want to underscore this point because I think it's important for people is to remember that clarity is king. So when it comes to uh, writing emails, one of the things I like to do is just make sure that it's clear what you want them to do. Like I've read some emails in the past where it's just, I don't know, a page and a half of just text and stories and images and everything else. And it's just not very clear what you want them to do. So putting a very clear link and call to action will actually significantly help your your chances as well. And I just wanted to share a really quick tip with you too. So this is a very practical thing that you can do uh, because as it turns out, email deliverability, which we, we touched on earlier, is a little bit of a, it's a moving target and you can never be 100% sure of it. So here's what I recommend. Again, if you're using ConvertKit, go to rightly.show slash ConvertKit if you're not already. Um, but it's to send a test email. And what I do is, uh, here, here's kind of my really quick, without spending a whole bunch of time, deliverability test. So what I do is you can send a test email uh, within your campaign. So I go in and I send it to a Gmail account I have set up specifically for Rightly and Company. So I send it to that, uh, that email address. I send out that test email. If it lands in the inbox, it passes my test. If it lands in the promotions tab, it fails my test. And so what I do is I go in and I make some tweaks to the copy or to the headline, and usually that fixes it. Sometimes if you put, like for example, I can think of one email in particular that failed the test. I put the word free in all caps in the subject line. It landed in the promotions tab. I uh, changed the word, I moved the arrangement of the word free to the end and put it in regular casing. It passed the test. So that's a really practical thing that you can do. It takes about less than five minutes and it can actually significantly increase the, uh, the amount of opens that you get with that particular email. Really practical, tactical thing that you can do. The other thing I'd recommend in terms of open rates is be very careful with images. So images alone can have a, a tendency to be flagged uh, by a lot of email clients and sometimes they won't render the image at all. So that's something to keep in mind. But that little quick testing thing, even without anything more sophisticated, can actually help, uh, particularly if you just kind of make it a part of your regular workflow. 
I think that's hugely. I think that's hugely helpful to be able to like test it on your own. And there are services where, like, if you have a really big email list and you want to test the deliverability to a larger audience than just uh, a one-off email address, there are services out there, and we'll you know we'll link to one or two in the show notes. Um, let's say Thomas that you are. Let's say you're really connected to your audience. You have a really strong relationship with them. They like your podcast. They like your blog. They read your book. You know, um, they open your emails when, when they, when they see them and you've got pretty decent, you know, open and click through rates. What can you do to improve those? So, so let's say you, un, the, the unsubscribe issue, you are, you know, you're on top of it. You've it's really obvious at the bottom. You give people options to opt out, uh, opt out of campaigns, or to customize whether to get like daily, weekly, or monthly updates. Um, but let's say you're having you're you're struggling with um, getting people to to open your email. So what what can you do with your? Let's just ta- tackle the subject line because that's the first thing people see is that subject line. What are some things people can should keep in mind when it comes to that subject that can help uh, improve uh, those responsive rates? Yeah, so this is a, this is a great question. It's something that we could probably spend a whole episode on in and of itself, but it's one of those things where this applies to web usability as well, websites where, you know, that's where I do the, the majority of my work, which is test, 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 test everything. Because as you know, similar to open rates in general, there's just no exact science to this. I think it's there's a I can't remember the name of the service. I think it's Kissmetrics or something. It's not Kissmetrics. There's another one. I think it's uh, CoSchedule. They have like a headline analyzer, which helps yes. give you some basic ideas. It's a really cool tool. But even something like that, they'll analyze it. And they'll give you a score. You can get a hundred percent score on every single one of those headlines and still have lower click through rates. A lot of it has to do with relevancy. So again, it's a moving target. And what I would recommend is that once you reach the point, like this is kind of the the icing on the cake. So you don't want to start here. Focus more upon the foundation of writing a good email, of you know providing value in that email. But I, what I would say is that if you're pretty confident you're already doing that and you want to improve and you want to increase those numbers, then go to things like the headline. And you know, I mean, headlines are important, but start with creating value, but uh, testing everything. So a very practical solution is that uh, you know. ConvertKit has, and no, this is not like a paid episode sponsored by ConvertKit. This just so happens to be the tools that they have built in. But what they enable you to do is when you're setting out a campaign, you can do A-B testing. And if you're not familiar with the concept of A-B testing, it just means that you're going to create two different variations that you're going to split among your audience. So if like in a website, uh, fifty like uh, A-B testing would mean that 50% of visitors would see one thing, 50% of visitors would see another. And you would test the results based upon those two, you know, A, B uh, sides of the equation to see which one is more effective. And then whichever one is more effective, you continue going forward. Same thing applies to ConvertKit. So you can create two headlines and have, uh, so the way that it works is actually really sophisticated. And I'm actually pretty impressed by it. I think what it does is it sends out to like 15% of your list or a very small percentage of your list, uh, a 50-50 split. So it sends out headline A to 50%. I know I'm getting really in the weeds here. 50% or half of the 15% of your entire list. 
uh, receive one of each headline. And then whichever one quote unquote wins, meaning gets higher open rate uh, balanced with a higher click through rate, it then sends the rest of your list that headline. So really sophisticated. Most people would you know, have to send out multiple campaigns. But the whole idea here is that you're just testing. And there's little rules of thumb that you can use to help test, like being very descriptive or uh, in some ways sometimes being not descriptive. Like here's a, here's a really vague, uh, uh, here's a very vague headline that can work really well once or twice. Like something like this, I can't believe people are making this mistake. Like sometimes those can work really well. Sometimes they can go not so well. It depends upon your uh, your audience and the particular thing that you're promoting. So A-B testing is a huge thing. Now, again, this could probably be an episode in and of itself, but a quick tip I could give you in terms of A-B testing. The biggest mistake that people make, and this applies not only to headlines, but websites and, and te- uh, pricing in terms of how they're A-B testing most people when they're A-B testing test two different things that are way too similar, like maybe a one or word, one or two word difference or, uh, you know, something like at that point in time, if you're testing things that are only minimally different, there's no point in even doing the test. Like what I would recommend is do something that's in your comfort zone that seems more reasonable and rational. Try that as test A. And for test B, try something that's totally outside the box that is so fundamentally different from the other one that there is a stark contrast between the two. It might go poorly, it might go well, but that actually makes the A-B testing worth your time and it provides, it opens the door for you to stumble across something that works that nobody else is doing and works really well. So that's a little tip I would recommend when it comes to A-B testing, but in terms of fine-tuning what you're already doing, A-B testing is probably the way to start. I'm almost all the way with you. I would add, I, <laughs> what I would add, <laughs> so I come from a data testing background with like huge gobs of oh, data. Oh, right, yeah, go um, for like it. <laughs> enormous gobs of data. The one thing I would clarify that is, is your two, the two things you're split testing can be drastically different, like trying to split test, like whether one word is capitalized or not, or, you know, like if the, if the change is too minimal or minuscule, then it's really like, it is truly difficult to get an accurate, you know, uh, distinction between the A-B test. Um, but what the what I would caveat is make sure there's enough distinction between the A and the B. Like make it more like an A and an M, <laughs> you know, A because yeah. A, B are really close together. Make it like an A and an M um, or an A and a J. Uh, but only test one element at a time. So like oh, if you're sure. split testing your email – don't split test your subject line and the copy of the email body itself because you're not going to get an act because if you split test the subject line and the email copy, they're not going to like you're not able to make a like a quantifiable decision based on that because if one subject line gets more open rates, then the email copy is like it's going to be. Uh, the data will be skewed. So whatever you're testing, the versions, the two different versions, the A and the B, can be very drastic and should be drastic enough so that they're informative, um, but not 
like too ridiculous, but then also only test one element at a time. So like if you're like your blog, for example, um, you could, you know, test if you're trying to test like the click through rate to get email subscribers, like changing, you know, the uh, the copy on the opt in button. Um, you know, or the size of it or design of it, you know, how it's working, that's fine. But don't also test like completely, you know, reformatting what the blog looks like at the same time because you're that compound variation actually messes up your data. Yeah, totally. 100% agree. What you want to do is make sure that when you are testing something that the actual scope of what you're testing is teeny. However, within that scope, the difference is drastic and diverse. So yeah, 100% agree with that. So uh, yeah, one of the things I also wanted to touch on just kind of as we wrap on uh, wrap up uh, here today is what are some of the things, Casey, because I think you have a lot more experience uh, from this perspective as well. What are some basic, because we talked about it even uh, in the previous episode, what are some like quick copywriting tips that you would give to people for writing good emails. <laughs> sure. Um, so uh, kind of beat the dead horse on this one earlier, but be as human as possible. Um, Thomas, you actually shared a fantastic tip when you were talking about how you write emails is you write for one person. And so, uh, when you're writing an email, like have an idea in your mind it can be a like real person or like who's like an whose name you know an interest you like someone you know who's a friend of yours uh stephen king the you know uh godfather of horror novels he writes when he's writing a book he is writing it for his wife his wife is his muse is who he is writing to um and so far it, i think you could argue that it has worked um when i was doing my podcast the person that i had in mind was my friend derek um who he has three kids and he's a real estate agent and like i know all these things about him so when i would sit down to write an email or record a podcast i had him in mind and what that does is is it is it focuses what the content of what you're talking about and it provides a context and it will make you sound more human and more conversational versus like okay I'm sitting down to write an email to a thousand people okay what do I say um it can it can make you creatively it can make you freeze but then it also makes like your writing voice uh very like stunted and and fragmented um so, so be human, have an av- have a person in mind, have an avatar, or it could be like someone you make up, like an imaginary friend. Um, but just have someone in mind when you're writing. The other big key is uh, white space. Um, all of you have that friend or mom or uncle or person who texts you and it's one ginormous block of text all at once and you get their text message and you're just like scrolling forever um, reading this miniature novel that they've sent to you. So when you're writing an email, hit, hit enter like all the time, like leave, leave lots of white, leave lots of white space. Like don't have in your email, you should never have more than like three lines max of text. Like I like to go with one or two usually if, if it makes sense, because what it, what it does for the reader is it gives them like space to think and they'll, they'll start scrolling for the conversation and they want to continue that conversation with you. So they'll get to the end of your email. So having sufficient white space in your email, 
um, is a is like a design element that actually reads very well because that white space gives people to think and it's much less overwhelming than here's an email with 18 solid lines or four huge paragraphs. Break it up because then it will it will also serve the purpose of helping you to sound more conversational. Um, another uh, great tip is always have a PS. Always have a postscript after your Yes, yes, totally. That's what people will do is they'll start like they'll read the first sentence or the first paragraph and then they'll scroll all the way to the bottom where you have signed off. And then that one strategic, impactful action you want them to take or that one takeaway that you want them to remember from your email, put that in the PS and make it, you know, two lines top, three lines tops. But, you know, keep it short, keep it brief, keep it actionable because it's a postscript. It's not, you know, part two of a novel Um, because then like you would be surprised that the majority – like if you put in a a postscript and then you start tracking like where people are clicking, more often than not you will find that a good percentage of your clicks come from that postscript Um, because that's where that – like they see the first line, they see the headline – see the first paragraph or the first sentence or two and then they scroll all the way down to the bottom um and that postscript is like oh like here's what i really need to know that's what the reader is thinking this is what i really need to know um so have that excellent yep those are some incredibly insightful tips so to kind of underscore this whole episode what you can kind of take away from it is don't make it hard for people to stop receiving what you're making. Make it easy for that process. However, make uh, whatever it is that you do make, make it so amazing and useful to the people receiving it that they would never even consider that to begin with. The best way to keep people from unsubscribing is to create something that matters for people who care. So that's the number one thing. If you want to take away one thing from this episode is that. Okay, so I'd like to thank you so much for joining us. Uh, for the program today. As always, if you're finding the Rightly Show helpful, we always do appreciate it if you head on over to iTunes or Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. This also helps other people who are building a brand or a business to find out about the show. Also, if you have a question, never hesitate to call 844-RIGHTLY where you can record a question for the show. You can also go to rightly.show slash question and we always do appreciate it. Until next time, go out there and create a brand that is truly rightly designed. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the program. If you found it useful, please take a quick moment to leave us a review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or the medium of your choosing.